Welcome to episode 111 of The Space In Between, and I am Phoebe Leona here. And today I will be sharing with you Jason Elias, who is such a beautiful, bright, bright spirit and has a very interesting journey that I cannot wait for you all to hear about. He's written a few books and his latest, The Seven Graces of Ageless Aging, How to Die Young as Late in Life as Possible. That is coming up in just a moment, but a few things happening here in Nomadland that I would love for you to be a part of for you in your own spiritual journey here. So this month in Nomadland, we are focusing on how to dig in, how to dig into the spiritual practices rather than kind of rising above and and falling into the spiritual bypassing. So we'll talk a bit about, we have been already been talking about what spiritual bypassing is, how maybe you have done this, um, or maybe you're witnessing in amongst your own community of people. And so how can you really dig into these practices and use them for, for transformation? <clears throat> so we've been having this conversation all month long. We will be digging into movement March 24th, which is a Sunday for my Movement 109 practice. So we'll do a lot of grounding work in the practice and digging in. So you can join me there as well as a free event of Who Are You Becoming, which is my six-week six-week self-paced online course, which you can dive into on your own right now. You don't have to wait for the event to do it. You can sign up right now. There's so much there for six weeks. Every week there is a movement practice, a video of a movement practice, playlist, guided meditations, journal prompts, action steps to really integrate the expanded awareness practices into your life and really manifest what you want in your life. So you can do that all on your own. You can start right now as, as the moment that you finish listening to this podcast, but there's also another option to join us for weekly conversation. So I host a weekly call with the group who is, who is presently taking the course and you can find out more about all of that over at nomadalwaysathome.com. But now let's go ahead and sit with Jason and hear all about his beautiful journey. Okay, I am here with Jason Elias. Welcome. And I am so very happy to have you here as our guest. And we connected, this is our first time connecting here today on Zoom for our podcast, but we were connected with a mutual person. How did we, how did that happen? Douglas, it was Douglas, yes? Douglas. Yeah, Douglas has been a client of mine. Oh, he's okay. A, he's a professor at Columbia. Okay. And he's been coming to me for wellness. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, and I guess a bit of a healer. And my background was in psychology. So I was a psychologist before I moved into that other stuff. Okay. So Douglas and I established a rapport and we became like brothers. So he comes to me for treatment, but we, uh, as a professor, we talk about consciousness and about evolution. Okay. And since then I know, you know, him through yoga. He's trained as a yoga teacher. He's a teacher of mindfulness. Yes. And he teaches pragmatic leadership courses at Columbia. And so it was through his connection with you, through, I imagine, the yoga yes. and his connection with me that he said, I think you'll be a really good match. Oh, I love and that. I, yes. Okay. He did my teacher training a couple of years ago. And so that's that was my connection. And, and I hope to have him on here. 
So enough about Douglas. Let's talk about you. So, <laughs> so yes, Jason, where are you? Um, tell us a little bit about where you are right now, and then we can kind of look at back at your past and where how you came here today. You know, I think COVID, as you know, has been a really trying time, and it's a reinventing time because as a hands-on healer, my practice dwindled for a while because, you know, a lot of my practice is touch or acupuncture. I've written books in the past. Actually, the one I'm releasing now is my fifth. Mm. But I never identified as an author. But it gave me the opportunity to finish this book that we're just releasing and to really connect to that part of me that can connect to many more people than I can connect to on a one-to-one basis. Okay. I, you know, so I, I guess I'll explain, you know, when, I, when I've written the other books, they were, you know, published by big publishing houses and they expected me to promote the books. And when it came time, I was very hesitant because I wouldn't leave my practice and my patients. Mm. Like I felt my obligation. And now it's not that I'd leave them, <laughs> but I really feel you can connect to so many more people through the written word and through the podcast, which you're doing. Yeah. You know? So in a, in a way, in a sense, in terms of where you were looking as healer versus author, this this time and space where you couldn't be that hands-on healer, it gave you that space to step into being an author, it sounds like, that opportunity. Absolutely. And having written books, I never identified with author. Yeah. Now I How feel... interesting. I, you know, there's a humility. I think, you know, the more you study, the more you realize how much you don't know. Yeah. And I think there's a part of me, but I think of many people where it's hard to put out the truth that you've realized because there are people that are better at certain things than you are. Mm -hmm. And there comes a point in which you say, you know, I am what I am. It's like Popeye the Sailor Man, you know. <laughs> one of my favorite movies from childhood. <laughs> I used to love that. You know, it's like I am what I am, and that's enough. Yeah. And if that can bring light to a few people, then it's good work. I love it. I really want to dive into your journey, but let's stay here for a second because I'm really curious to see. You know, you this you said this is your fifth book, and now you feel like you're just. I am what I am, owning yourself, owning this um, role as author. So can you speak to that? Um, not just the time and space, as you said, COVID lent to you, but um, how did you come into this, you know, stepping into this beautiful ownership of being author? What did that journey it, look like for you personally? Yeah, I'm, really, I'm not exactly sure, but it was like a resonance. It was like, you know, there there was a part of me that would say, well, you know, no, no, you know, but we can't be attached to being humble either. There's a wonderful joke. It's very quick. Yeah. And it's about a rabbi who's in the temple and he's in front of the altar and he's beating his chest and he said, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. Mm-hmm. And then the cantor comes along and he sees the rabbi and he gets on his on his knees and he goes, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. So the janitor walks by and he sees this. He comes, he says, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. <laughs> and the rabbi gives the cantor a budge and he says, and look who thinks he's nobody. <laughs> you know, there's this spiritual materialism that we can yeah. get attached to. And my sense is, if you don't 
have anything to prove when you have something that really resonates yeah. that you feel can give someone insight or you know connection with their own joy or you know joy of living yeah then I don't want to be a miser I don't want to be a nobody in that sense yeah well yeah so let's let I'm can I I'm curious to know a little bit more about how you even got the seed to write to begin with. So uh, what did your journey start? Like you said, you started as uh, a psychologist in, in psychology. Is that correct? I was a psychologist. Okay, you were a psychologist. And uh, went, and this is back, I'll try to encapsulate this. Uh, back in the 60s, I went to a place called the Esalen Institute. Oh, which yeah. Was, you know, the breeding gown for mm-hmm. the new age, new therapies. And I went there to learn gestalt therapy, which was a form of psychotherapy that, you know, had, instead of talking about it, you acted out the different conflicting parts of yourself. You would take this part and sit him on a chair and talk to him and resolve inner conflict through this medium. Okay. But when I went there, and I was going to be there for a month training in this form of therapy, there was a woman there, her name is Ida Rolf. Now, you may have heard of rolfing. Mm -hmm. It's very deep connective tissue work. So all of us needed to get rolfed. We needed 10 rolfings during the course of this month, which they claim would tap us into deeper feelings. And when they worked on us, there were just a few rolfers back then. She Mm -hmm. was just beginning to train people. I realized that when she worked on my jaw, I would feel sad and tears would come to my eyes and realize that I was clenching my jaw to lock in the sadness when they worked in the back of my leg, you know, and I realized (laughs) that literal saying, I sit on my anger, that my emotions were stored in the body. So then I got involved with body work Mm -hmm. and trained with her. I I spent an extra month there training with Ida Rolf. Okay. Came back and had a psychotherapy practice. I trained in something called the Alexander Technique. Oh, I love Alexander Technique. Yeah. And we taught at Juilliard. We used to teach the actors and dancers there. Yeah. You know, so it was like different. And then I moved into acupuncture and herbal medicine, which I've been doing for 45 years. And it never gets tiring. Yeah. You know, so during the course of that, I had a client who was an editor for, I guess uh, it was Warner Books. And I would tell her teaching stories when I was giving her sessions. She said, we have to get that in a book. And that (laughs) led, you know, to my first, it was called then in the house of the moon, it was geared to women and it's been re-released in paper as feminine healing, Okay. you know, but I felt I was doing the writing, but I was the practitioner. So that's somehow when the change happened. Okay. And, and I know a little bit just from reading the description of your, your autobiography that you had a, a lot of traveling. You were a bit of a nomad. <laughs> yeah, I love your, the name of your, yes. your podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you speak a little bit about that and, you know, what brought you to traveling? And Absolutely. I felt when I was at Essel and even before, mm-hmm. I felt that thread. You know, I feel we're all creative, we're all passionate, but we need to find the thread that moves us into our passion. You know, you clearly found yours and you're sharing it. For me, it was healing. Like, what is healing? And, you know, going to Esalen and, you know, I I wrote a memoir called Kissing Joy As It Flies. Yeah. 
And I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's a William Blake quote, and I, I love this. It's, you know, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. Mm. But he who kisses joy as it flies lives in eternity sunrise. Mm. And it's this joy is something you can't grab onto. You can't hold it, but yeah. we need to create the space to experience it. And that's tapping into our thread. If we find that thread, that's that's where our life energy wants to go, whether it's as an artist, you know, as, as a plumber, you know, as a dancer. It's like it doesn't have to be some esoteric, yeah. you know, it's like what brings us joy in the moment. And tapping into that thread moved me on that journey. And um, I wanted to understand how people in different parts of the world worked with studied or practiced healing okay so you know i i began in california went to hawaii worked with some healers there went to japan uh worked with uh, shiatsu and you know um, aikido mm-hmm. i worked with an aikido master okay uh, and from there went to the philippines i spent six months working with the psychic surgeons there uh it's all in the book and then from there uh, to Hong Kong, where I apprenticed with an acupuncturist. This was over the course of a full year. Wow. And then I spent a few months in India at my teacher's ashram. Okay. And then came home. But, you know, they were all doing the same thing. Energy is energy. Healing mm-hmm. is healing. There are many roads. Actually, the quote that I used to begin my book, I love. And it goes, you know, all wisdom is plagiarism. stupidity is original stupidity is original only stupidity is original anything that's (laughs) of wisdom has been said before in many different ways and we tap into whatever way resonates with us but the truth is the truth yeah you know it's Oh, I love that. So when you when you set out on this journey of yours for a year, did you know that it was going to take a year? Did you set aside time to do that? Okay, so it was very intentional. It was intentional. I Well, <laughs> back then, this was in the early 70s. Yeah. Uh, or middle 70s. Um, there was a thing called an around-the-world ticket. Okay. It was good for a year. You could travel any airline as long as it was basically either east to west or west to east and they all accepted the ticket and you had to complete that within a year so i had year as the longest but you could go north or south as long as it was in the same general direction so all of those stops that i mentioned were part of a 900 dollars airline ticket wow to do this on my own but and Everywhere I went, I either knew someone, stayed in someone's house. You know, it was all very, it worked, it worked out. I mean, it was trusting that current that I said, you know, in my mind said, you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. How can you give up the world, you know, do this? You know, I knew I could come back and open my practice again, but it was like, you know, people say that was very brave. And I'll say, no, it was like, what well, would have been, I guess, I couldn't resist that pull. I needed to do that. Otherwise, I was uneased, diseased. Yes. Oh, okay. So that's exactly, well, you know, the name of this podcast is The Space in Between. And that's exactly like the essence that we want to get to is that pull, what you're just saying. So you, you already had your practice, you said, 
So I had practice in New York City. Yeah. Okay. So you had this practice, and then you felt there was something tugging you to to go out on this journey. Okay. And then I first of all, I love that idea of the ca- the travel card. I didn't know about that. I I was born at the <laughs> wrong time. <laughs> That's I was so lucky. I mean, yeah. I and I feel blessed to have studied with many luminaries from back yeah. then. But it was like it was part of that that current yeah. you know and i've been back here for many years i got back you know and settled into my life as an acupuncturist back in 1980 yeah so, i mean that's a lot of years that i've been settled down homeowner parent you know living yeah. a, this kind of life but so the initial that when you had that that little tug you already you had your practice but then you felt like there was a call to the journey as you say it's the hero's journey to your own hero's journey and and you had this ticket but you didn't necessarily know every spot it sounds like you were following some breadcrumbs along this way yes it was there was no itinerary yeah okay i would go to one stop and then i could book the next leg when the time was right so i didn't know how long i'd spend in each Place. You just knew you had a year to do this. Exactly. I love it. And so then you you had all these beautiful experiences, gathering experiences, knowledge, wisdom, and you brought them back a year later. And did you feel, other than that, just having to know that you had to be back in a year, did you feel, when did you feel it was complete? How Was there a moment that you felt like, okay, within you, in your core? I guess it was years later. I mean, what happened, though, when I got back? Yeah. When I was in India spending the three months at the ashram. Yeah. I was invited to do my healing work at the ashram. Okay. And listen to discourses and do meditations. And it was like, and I was torn. It was an, I, I can share this story. I don't know. Of it has course. nothing to do with the new book, but it's an interesting story. We go wherever uh, we want to go. <laughs> I decided I needed to go back to India to see where I was because okay. I was invited. Yeah. And I was sitting in front of my teacher. And I remember we had what's called a darshan, which I'm sure you know what a darshan is. Yeah. It's where you sit, you know, next to your, your guru, your teacher, and you have a one-to-one communion. And I remember asking him, I'd written a letter to him, and I said, I'm really confused. Uh, I've been offered three things. One is you offered for me to stay here and do, you know, my healing work here at the ashram. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a practice in New York that I could reopen, you know, and, uh, and then I was invited to Australia. When I was in the Philippines, the healers I worked with were invited to create a healing center in Australia, and they invited me to be part of that. So okay. here was three beautiful cherries hanging on yeah. the, the branch. Of what to do? And the teacher said, when I tell you to come here or stay here, I'm not saying here as a destination because I've transcended my ego. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm beingness. If you're around me, you can taste that, but it's not me. Mm-hmm. So I live not the person you're looking at now, but in your own heart. Mm -hmm. So if you're in New York or Australia or here, if you feel that resonance in your heart, that's where I live. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I knew I wanted to be in India. So I spent five years there. Oh, wow. 
I lived at the ashram for five years. Okay. I did my Alexander work and my healing work there. Oh, beautiful. So you didn't come home after that year. (laughs) I did. I I went back there. And then I came back in 1980. Okay. And decided it was time to leave gurus and teachers that whatever I needed must be within myself. Yeah. And I needed to be ordinary, you know, like not a spiritual guy on the journey, but, you know, a person that can relate to other people and, you know, tap into that. And that's when we spoke about humbleness that, you know, I feel, and I am really loving being ordinary I'm low you know Mm -hmm. but now I feel like I do have lessons over those years that I would like to transmit and that's why the book oh beautiful so then you came back and you said you had you had this somewhat stable life and in terms of your practice and a house and and family and did you (laughs) yeah and that's so beautiful and then did you ever feel that tug again of the you know you know, it, I, I haven't. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would love to go to India again and revisit. Yeah. But, you know, what, what a, a guru would say, or a teacher, a wise teacher, would say, I'm a finger, and I'm pointing <laughs> to the moon. And you keep looking at the finger, thinking that's going to give you the experience that you get around me. Look at where I'm pointing. Yeah. You know, so it really is... You know, whatever I'm looking for is not out there. It's somewhere in here. Mm -hmm. And at times I'm tuned into it and I feel, wow, you know, (laughs) and at times I'm so far from it. And I need to accept that as well. Yeah. It's not like you're given enlightenment. Mm -hmm. It's kissing joy as it flies. When it's there, can I embrace it and not wonder why or can I hold on to it? Yeah. You know, can I let that go and then embrace whatever the universe is going to give me? And sometimes it's not necessarily wonderful and positive. Yeah. But I know that too will pass. Beautiful. Yeah, I just to relate to that, you know, before COVID, I was traveling a lot and, and figuring out where I wanted to land. And then as you know, the I was actually in Bali and I... And I was supposed to come back, but I didn't know where I was coming back to. And it was this big fat question mark of where is home for me. And circumstances led me to be a mile, well, to be with my grandmother. So I've actually been here with my grandmother essentially for the past um, almost a year now. My goodness. But yeah, I'm about a mile away and I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be right now. My mom is nearby too. So, and, and I think that, you know, for you, you traveled, you traveled far and found that, that message through your, your guru. And somehow I traveled around and had to come back home to, to discover it. So we can find it in all of these other, all these ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beauty. And you know, when you're, you're there, Chris, you're at peace. Yeah. You have that sense of, you know, it's not where you are. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, what you are. It's, you know, what you've attained through the journey. And you may be called out again. You know, my sense is I've trusted that there's a, you know, once we become intuitive to our own journey, when we're called upon to be somewhere else, there's a dis-ease 
Mm-hmm. And if I can tap into that disease, what's causing it? It may not be what's happening. Someone did this to me. It may be that I'm not listening to some inner voice. And when I trust moving along with the current, something relaxes. Yeah. You know, and then the current settles. You're in the sea for a while. You're home. I'm here. But I don't know, you know, what's going to be tomorrow. Yeah. It's good. It is. It's so beautiful. And you know, your, your new book that's coming out by the time we release this, it will have, it will be out there for everybody to experience it. And as I was saying, yeah, I was, I was sharing it with my, my grandmother because it's called the seven graces of ageless aging. And, you know, I, you know, as you, I think you wrote in Leah's book, you didn't write this in my book, but you wrote in Leah's book, my assistant, who's a lot younger than me too. And you said that that's not necessarily your demographic, but um, to enjoy it anyways. And I just thought that was funny because as I was reading it, there were so many lessons that I, I resonated with. And so I would love to speak to, you know, first of all, what, what motivated you to write this book? And, you know, what was that journey of getting to writing the book? Thanks. Um, this it was really again an act of love. I have a lot of elderly clients, yeah. you know, and many of them were in their eighties and nineties. And you know, in the back of my mind, I knew I'm getting older. I'm seventy four, which to me feels young, but <laughs> it's a big number. Yeah. The next big number is eighty, you know, and it's like that feels old. So even though I've meditated, I understand this body is only the temple, you know, this fear of losing your capacity, both physically and mentally. And here are these people that I see regularly that come to me mm-hmm. in their 80s and 90s, one approaching 100, oh, many wow. of whom are on no medications and carry such a zest for life that I said, I want to know your secret. Yeah. So the book began I picked 12 who I call, once I started writing the book, my pathfinders. Yes. Who, you know, gave me a window into what aging in a positive frame could look like. They weren't stagnant. They were totally creative. Many said more creative than they've ever been, having released the constraints of, you know, having to provide for the family and all of that. You know, many were just even healthier, older, they had to deal with certain things in their bodies where the joints stiffened, they were more arthritic, or, but it didn't stop them yeah. and their life force. So I began by interviewing these people and the book threads around them. And what we noticed was there were seven themes yes. that kept coming up. And that's why the seven graces, you know, and one, the first grace we call rewriting the script. Mm-hmm. And it means we have a script about what aging is. When I was young, I was told 35 is old. Don't trust anyone over 35. <laughs> you, know, we, you know, we've expanded that. Now, you know, it's older, but we still disenfranchise elders. Mm-hmm. We don't give them the responsibility, the respect, or the wisdom that I feel we should because they've learned it. Yeah. You know, but instead of letting the elders raise our children and care and pass on knowledge, we send them to daycare, we send them, you know, there are institutions, and we send the old ones themselves, rather than taking care of them, to homes Mm -hmm. that further disenfranchise them. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things is, do we buy that? 
because our mind is the most powerful resource we have. And if I buy the script that aging is going to bring decrepitude, I put a nail in my coffin. You know, I've really, aging doesn't, I'm going to get old and I'm going to die. I don't know when, hopefully a long time from now, but I feel more vital than I've ever felt. I feel more creative. I just wrote a book. I think this is my best one. (laughs) (laughs) And there's more in me. Yeah. Just, it's funny. One of the people who I did not use as a pathfinder should have been my first. I had a teacher when I learned Chinese medicine on pulse taking. He was the first Western physician to train in Chinese medicine. So his name was Dr. Leon Hammer. And we became very close. I spent a day a week for two years seeing patients with him learning to read pulses in his way. He's written many books on it. But he moved to Florida. We lost touch. I haven't spoken with him to him in quite a few years. And we reconnected. So in the last five years, he's written four books. He's 97. Wow. And, you know, so I mentioned him in the acknowledgments that when I told him how important he was to me, how much I loved and respected him and what a role model he was, he said, really? And I said, I'm so glad I told him that now. Because if you feel that for someone, if someone has touched you, let them know before they they die. You know, I mean, really pass that on. Don't assume they know it. Yeah. That's beautiful. So that's the first of the graces. That's the first. And yeah, and and as you said, it was rewriting the script. And and I do a lot of, of this work, too, of just rewriting whatever story it is. I call it rewriting your story of just you're you're talking more specifically about aging but we could rewrite all any of our stories yeah and then do you want to speak to oh sorry go ahead yeah our mind is the most powerful you know healer or slayer yes we possess it can do us good or it can really do us harm it's placebo or nocebo yeah placebo to me is great i mean if i believe something is going to help me and it does to call it placebo means, you know, it's something that it's just in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the power lies. <laughs> and it shows you that the other thing that you were experiencing was in your head. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we have so much just by our thoughts. Our thoughts create our reality. Mm-hmm. Do you want to speak to the other graces? And I'm and how did you, and before we talk about the others, how did you come up with not seven? Because you actually spoke to... Um, this number seven a little bit in, in the beginning of your book? It, it, it Once again, it resonated. You know, I was saying, you know, how many elements of truth am I gathering through these mm-hmm. interviews and through the Pathfinders? And, you know, it could have been five, you know, I, you know, I, but seven just had this resonance and I realized it doesn't replicate itself in nature. Yeah. There's nothing that comes in sevens except days of the week. Yeah. And you know, that's our invention too. But it's like the seven just felt, you know, you know, we talk about the seven chakras. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really energy centers. But it just felt right. And when I got together, what are the key points? It felt like there were seven key points that to stay with. You know, all together. Beautiful. And so, so as we said, the first one was writing your, rewriting your script. Right. And the second grace was finding your tribe. Mm-hmm. And that's very different 
than when I was young. When I was young, communities stayed together and we had families and extended families. And more and more, you know, we're nomads. Yes. In the most positive sense that our tribes have to change. We, you know, if the tribe makes us feel that what we love and honor in our lives is bad, there's something wrong about that tribe, whether mm-hmm. it's a biological tribe, you need to be supported by your tribe. So when I was in graduate school, one of my teachers, his name was Daniel Malamud, and he taught at uh, Columbia, and he taught something called second chance family. Okay. And he said, very often in the family we're born into, we get protection. When you're born into a tribe, the tribe protects you. They take care of you, but there's a price. Your allegiance to the mores and the codes that the tribe honors. And sometimes those codes or mores go against nature, against who we are. And then it becomes really difficult. You know, in the old days, you were sent out on your own where you would certainly be killed by other tribes or, you know, the elements or animals. But today it's very different and we have a choice of our tribe. And it's not giving up the biological tribe. If there's love and there's history, it's wonderful. But we can have multiple tribes. You know, some people, their biological tribe is toxic. And yes, you have to let go of that. But all the studies show that when people surround themselves with people with similar views, with similar creative energies, they live longer and they live healthier. And, you know, there's tons of studies in the book, which I try to, you know, put at the end of the book instead of labor the book with research. Yeah. You know, finding where you feel you belong. You know, and at the end of each chapter, we have, uh, you know, uh, nourishing the seeds. So each of the graces, there are things we can do that can support, you know, the things that we learned in that grace. So it, it gives it a pragmatic point of view. And the third which, you know, with yoga is uh, mindfulness, Mm -hmm. you know, and the difference between mindfulness and uh, the mindfulness uh, thought of the first chapter is, you know, rewriting the script is our mind dictates our reality, but it's like a laser, laser focus. Mindfulness in the third grace is really mindlessness. It's really being, you know, the space between the words, the space between. It's, you know, really tapping into beingness. So it's, you know, mindfulness in a positive way is important. But mind, I I hate calling it mindlessness because it sounds good. Beingness. Yeah, I've been using awareness over mindfulness lately because it is, it's you're being aware, but it's not in terms of the the thought yeah the mind kind of gets in the way yeah so the mindfulness yeah, you know, so, so the being as you right said. and you know through what you've studied and you've learned and you are teaching to so many others you know this is i, I think it's the biggest gift you can give someone yeah is you know how to stop the craziness and you know learn learn to witness learn to step out of the commotion that's constantly going around us yeah. and kind of move above it with no judgment. And that's the difference between self-awareness and self-consciousness. 
I love that. And so can you speak to um, this state of being that you're, you're speaking to right now in terms of aging? I'm, you know, a conversation that comes up a lot. I know I see my grandmother pretty often these days and, you know, what's happening in our country specifically right now. And there's so much upheaval and, you know, she has a whole history of witnessing, you know, our, our life, you know, how we have arranged ourselves in politics and, and how there's this discourse right now. And so, um, and then you have, you know, younger generations, even younger than me who are, you know, know that there's this need for change and, and know that it's sort of, um, necessary and it might not be pretty. And how can you speak to, um, you know, this age, this aging, um, experience and where we are right now i mean that's profound and that's what we're all grappling with yeah you know i feel i think of the buddhist monks yeah who would go out in front of the troops and make a political statement yeah because their statement was based on truth and on love and on caring for their fellow man but so you know the idea of being isn't opposed to having having an engagement mm-hmm. in the world yeah. and in what you see as rightful or unjust. But it's realizing that there's a part of you, what we call the center of the cyclone, that we can tap back into. The mm-hmm. cyclone, everything is whirling yeah. around, but in the center, there's an amazing stillness. Yeah. So at times you need to engage the whirling, get into the world and do what you can to make it better, you know, from your own perspective. And then we have that place to come back to, which, I mean, that to me is the beauty of yoga. Yeah. And the beauty of expression. I've watched your your daily strategies for keeping joy in your life, and it just (laughs) inspires me. And the way you move, you know, that to me, through dance, through movement, we get out of our head. We get out of the programs. We tap into... That's the whirling dervishes, you know. Yeah. It's its way of kind of, you know, getting out of the world, you know, stuckness, the dichotomy. Yeah. With that and getting into our bodies. Because that's how we can tap into to truth. We can only tap into truth through our senses. Mm-hmm. And the mind isn't the sense. It's a rehearsal mechanism. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, so the stuff that we can touch, we can feel, we can taste you know, that gets us back into now. Yes. But as soon as the mind comes in and says programming, we're out of now. Yeah. We're there and then. So, and so when you're speaking, I'm just kind of thinking of, you know, um, yes, I use dance and I use writing too. It sounds like you use writing too as that way of, of tapping back into our still, our inner stillness or spirit source. Uh, and, and so any, any sort of art form or any way that you can sort of quiet that outer world and go into it, whether it's art and painting or writing or uh, sitting in, in nature. Absolutely. Yeah. And that individual, you know, what is it that creates that space for you? You know, you have yeah. your modes. For me, writing is one of them. Yeah. Photography is, you know, things that get me out of my mind, that get me really yeah. present. Yeah. Which is great. Beautiful. Yeah. And so that was the third, Grace. Yes. 
it's funny, I'm remembering. I'm saying, do I have to look at the book to remember this? I but can I think, remind you. Yeah. I have my notes, okay. too. <laughs> oh, okay. but, uh, the fourth grace, I, I can't say one's my favorite because I feel, but the fourth grace is living life simply and with humor. Mm. You know, it's, we have stuff. Our, our worlds are so arranged around stuff. And the more stuff we have, the more gilded our cages, but we're trapped by our stuff. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I forgot her, you know, the uh, the one about if it doesn't bring joy into your life, like a little bit. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know her name, but I know you're talking about the, the like, declutter queen. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, she's got her shows on. Yeah. And she's Japanese, but it's wonderful. Yeah. But I read a very small book, you know, called The Swedish Art, uh, the, the Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. Oh, okay. Weird title. And it's this woman who claims to be between 85 and 100. Won't give her age. Okay. And she said, you know, it's a very cute book about getting rid of stuff. Don't imagine your children or grandchildren would have any interest in all the crap you've been saving for them. Mm. You know, and in the meantime, you got to take care of it. you got to get rid of it. Ask them, do you want this? Yeah. If they say no, declutter. Because yeah. if you die, you leave that for them to go through all of your crap. Yeah. <laughs> you <know>? So <laughs> you don't need, and she, you know, she also creates, you know, a whole list. Yeah. And she says, you know, when it comes down to more personal items, when you look through your drawer, you know, if you have an attachment to a dildo, yeah, good, but you don't need seven. Get rid of the other six. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, so there was something lovely about really starting to feel do things bring us joy yeah things trap us so that's one side of it and the other is laughter is always present yeah so the more we can laugh we can tell jokes i love it yes we need joy invite joy in exactly so you know there's the story of this guy who's you know sitting on a hill overlooking the aegean sea an old Greek guy, and yeah. this young guy walks by as an American tourist who has Greek ancestry, and he looks at the guy and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just looking at the sea, the sunset. He said, is this olive grove? Who does this belong to? And he said, well, it's mine. Okay. He said, but so many of the trees have followed. Do you realize how many people in my country, in America, will pay exorbitant fees for extra virgin olive oil? I mean, if you cultivate the fields or do it, you could be so rich. He said, really? And then what? And then he said, well, you know, you could sell it. You could do whatever you want. He said, I mean, like sitting here watching the sunset? <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's really... Oh my gosh. Yes. That's a good, that's a good message. (laughs) I I feel, I feel like that is something that hopefully we've learned during this time, this past year, you know, how so much has been taken away. And then we realize how unnecessary some of it has been, you know, was for us, the, the extra work kind of that, what you were just saying of like harvesting the olives and, the olive trees and all of that it is we we realize oh we could just sit here and still watch the sunset whether you know well it's always you know if i have more yeah i'll get it if i have more if i have more and there's never an end to more and yeah. you know this is it that that's that's the treadmill yeah you know so we need to find a lot of things to laugh at mm-hmm. we definitely one, one do my, especially my, these my days my guru for that grace was a man who 
wrote a book and we go into his life and his name is Danny Klein. Okay. And he's written many books. He's a philosopher, but he wrote, you know, Plato and Platypus walk into a bar and it's jokes <laughs> explaining all the schools of philosophy. I love it. You know, he's a Harvard graduate and he's brilliant. But he wrote a book called Travels with Epicurus. Okay. And Epicurus, you know, was about, you know, usually we think of Epicurean as a wonderful meal. But the ultimate Epicurean meal is lentils and bread. Okay. Because you can enjoy that every day. If you consider lobster Epicurean, you'll never be happy until you can, you know, it's like do sustainable joys. Make your joys sustainable that you can do and you don't lose yourself. So, you know, it's, it's good. It is good. And like, you know, as you're speaking to all of this, you know, anybody can really speak to this. It doesn't matter if you're reading this as, you know, and somebody who's seeing themselves as aging or older. These are all these are all beautiful graces for all of us, whether you're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80. I really do feel it's really applicable for for everybody. Yeah. You know, and uh you know, so my original thought was aging, but the more I wrote it, you know, there was at the beginning of the book, I also was rereading it because mm-hmm. this, the process of writing this, I was selling a house and getting a new one, getting rid of things. Mm-hmm. It was a tumultuous time, but, you know, it was really this feeling that I'm rewriting the book now in the time of COVID mm-hmm. and there was something about facing mortality that older people deal with, but younger people now get it. Yeah. Not, not just for their elders, but for themselves. You know, yeah. COVID didn't discriminate. You know, young people got it too. Yes, mm-hmm. less often. Yeah. But I, and which made the book much more relevant because I feel if, so if we don't know we're mortal beings, that life you know, does have an end at some point. Mm -hmm. And you can pretend that you're on the mill and you don't think about that. You just keep putting it off. But when you're forced to think about it, then these graces become much more alive for all of us. Like, what is it that I can do while I'm living to embrace and milk the joy out of every moment? Yes. So do you want to continue sharing the rest of the graces with us? Of course. I mean, there's just a few left. That's good. Yeah, we have three more. uh, the fifth one is passion. Okay. Um, it's finding your passion. And we spoke about that indirectly. Yeah. But it's really what we find is you never lose your passion for things. Mm-hmm. And the passion can be helping others. It can be art. It can be yoga. It can be, photo- you know, it can be anything. You know, it can be traveling, you know, if you can afford it. But to tap into the passion you know, I remember Winston Churchill, the last book he wrote was called Painting as a Pastime. Now, he had already been through the war. He led England. You know, he's mm-hmm. very respected and he's a curmudgeon old guy. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone knew he wasn't a pleasant guy. But he found joy through painting. And the last years of his life, he became quite an acknowledged oil painter. Okay. And his stuff is really good. Yeah. And he wrote this book about the joys of painting, that telling people, you know, you're not going to resolve conflict through the mind. Find the medium. For me, he said it was through painting. Mm-hmm. But it's that kind of thing. Find something that you can do that brings the creative energy alive. Yes. And so this is a book that explores 
finding your own passion and ways to do it and how unleashed it can be as people get older. That, you know, you have more freedom. So many people began an art career after retirement. One of my friends, her mother, began writing when she was 75. Four books, but she was committed. Her husband was sick. She took when her husband passed away. This door, and when you talk to her, she loves historical fiction. So she loves researching Mm -hmm. and doing the fiction. And whenever the book comes up, she lit up because I interviewed her too. She wasn't one of the pathfinders, but you know, you find your passion and you light up. Definitely. Do you know of Tal Portion Lynch? Yes, yes. I mean, she just passed away. I know. She, she was teaching yoga till 101. I know. She was my teacher. I love her. She really? Yeah. Oh, that's but, amazing. I, you know, what you, what you just said about your passion, I, you probably know of her story. You know, she's been a yoga teacher of some sort all of her life, but then she was at the Fred Astaire um, studio in her area where she taught a yoga class and there was a snowstorm one day and nobody showed up for her class or the, the classes that were happening at the ballroom dance, you know, at the dance studio. So the teachers said, do you want to come in and dance with us? And she said, oh, I would love to, you know, she had always wanted to dance, but, uh, you know, in the, in the ballroom scene and she never felt confident to, and then she became this Somehow, you know, winning all of these wonderful, uh, what are they called? It's not tournaments, but um, competitions. And I think she started at 78, something like that. She's such an inspiration. I'm so glad yeah. you worked with her. Yeah. You know, I met her once. Yeah. And I hear about her from people who knew her or her stories. And that was a great story. Yeah. She, and um, I, I mentioned her. Oh, do you? Okay, good. I can't. Oh, I'm so glad because she is such a special. She was such a special person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to continue teaching to 101. I know. And share that joy. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Yeah. So your passion is five. And then... yeah, so we only have two graces left. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, the sixth grace is movement. Mm-hmm. That movement heals stagnation kills you know we know that when a river is flowing you can drink its water but if it pools up and becomes a stagnant pool it breeds yeah. uh, pathogens and disease never yeah. drink from a stagnant pool yeah it's saying the acupuncture see that the meridians of the body move the energy through and if we become blocked even the word dis-ease mm-hmm. disease ensues and then we can become really sick so the you know, an acupuncturist uses little needles to open the channels. We need to cre- create movement in our lives in general. Yeah. So when Dick Van Dyke was asked, I think it was a year or two ago, when he was ninety something, okay. and you know everyone asked him to write a book on aging because he was dancing and singing in his nineties, and they said, well, it'd be a very short book. It would just say move. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. Just keep keep it going. Keep <laughs> yeah. Don't get stuck. Um, I I was a, I was a professional dancer in the city for years, and I I got to study with Luigi. I don't know if you know of Luigi, but um, he 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 danced. He taught dance until he passed away, and he had a very old age. But 
he said to us in in class every time, never stop moving. <laughs> he was famous yeah, for saying, never stop moving. That, and I, that's the idea, which yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. Just, otherwise you rust. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we need to keep things. Yeah, even, our oil know, cans know. going. No, which is great. I, it's, <laughs> yeah, and you know, and when people get older, the inclination is to surrender to inertia, and yeah. it's the worst thing they can do. You know, just get out there. So, how do you speak to you know? Because as you do get older, you start to feel arthritic, and you have those sort of old aches and pains that maybe you didn't tend to in the younger days. What do you? How do you speak to? Um, you know, the older population, if, if they haven't been moving and they need to start moving, how do you, how do you initiate that? I begin by telling them to rewrite the script. Yeah. That what you feel now and the stiffness is not old age. Yeah. It's not going to get worse. You can improve it. You know, so I'll say, but the, it's not going to improve if you don't test it, if you don't move. Yeah. Of course, you know, as an acupuncturist, giving herbs, there are herbs that can lubricate the joints. There are so many things they can do proactively. Mm. Yes, they're gonna be sometimes hurting. You know, there was there was a book called Happiness is a Choice You Make. Mm -hmm. And it was a New York Times uh, writer, you know, he has columns in the New York Times, who decided to follow, I think it was just six or seven people in their 90s who lived in New York, mostly in small apartments or in homes. Yeah. and follow them for a year. And at the beginning of working with them, he said, I don't think I'm going to get through this project. It's, it's depressing. Okay. You know, they complain and this hurts and that hurts and I've had this problem and my son passed away. Or yeah, I mean, it was yeah. like, you know, but as he worked with them and saw them on a regular basis, he realized there was a playfulness. And he said, are you happy? I said, yeah. And they said, but, you know, you always complain. He says, I got to get that out of the way. You know, but the truth is, <laughs> I realize heaven isn't a place you go to. It's now. And I can choose right now. I can be happy. I can move or, you know. And it was his his awakening was, and that's the name of the book, Happiness is That Choice That We Made. Yeah. So when I get older people and they're in pain, some of that is part of the course. You're going to have to deal with more of that as we get older. Yeah. But don't surrender to it. There are so many things that we can do that really can lessen it and to a large degree reverse those pains and those arthritic symptoms. Arthritis isn't a d disease. It's, it means uh, inflammation of joint. That's yeah. what arthritis means. Yeah. It's not a thing that's going to get worse. So yeah. if we can get rid of the inflammation, we'll feel better. Yeah. I've had so many people come to me in their 80s feeling, well, just help me with the pain. I said, well, why can't we get it better? Well, I'm 85 years old. I said, rewrite. Yeah. yeah. I love it. And so our next one. Or the last, last grace. One, our last grace. We're at seven. Yes. Seven. Uh, and this is, it was the hardest one to write because it was the most pragmatic. Okay. Like keeping keeping a healthy body. Mm -hmm. In other words, and how do you keep a healthy body? I mean, it's obvious from the West, but I wanted to play with a metaphor. So I use the Chinese metaphor of how the body makes qi, energy. So there are three resources that we combine and reconnect to make the fundamental qi that innervates us. Okay. So we get qi from food and drink, 
they call that Gucci. So if we eat good food and water and eat healthily and rightly and in season, that will help the Gucci. Dachi comes from the lung and it brings air, prana, into the body. So if we, you know, you get Dachi by breathing, by learning breathing exercises, by being in nature, because the plants have digested a lot of that carbon dioxide and toxins and they're putting out all this oxygen. So in Japan, one of the things all the workers do now, they call it forest bathing. Even mm-hmm. in Tokyo, they have to walk through a place that's full of trees. And they create these, like in New York, we have Central Park, but yeah. there are these treed parks. And they have to walk through that because they find they're more productive at work, they live longer, and they're healthier yeah. just by forest bathing. Yeah. Breathe good air. Yeah. You know, and the third we call is the heart's domain, and they call it Shen Shi, which is the energy we derive from healthy relationships. Okay. So, you know, so the shenchi, the guchi, and the dachi combine in the kidney, and it creates what they call qingqi, which is the energy that goes to all the organs of the body, okay. and weiqi, which is the immune energy. Okay. So it's an interesting metaphor, you know, yeah. it's very simple, but, you know, the idea is if we have healthy food, healthy drink, healthy air, and good relationships, we're going to be healthy. So that's nurturing the body and giving the temple the honor it deserves. Okay. Why do they they all come to the kidneys? I'm curious to know. It's the Chinese. The kidney is uh, the root chakra, the dandian. So the kidney energy is that root. Okay. And for some reason, they feel that they call the kidney the root of yin and yang. Oh, okay. I you didn't know, know that. So when you, you meditate as you do and you focus on the Dandian, the heart, there's so many names yeah. to that center, the yeah. cough, you know, the, uh, so th- their sense is the energy goes down there, gets, you know, alchemized, so to speak, okay. into these other forms of energy that okay. innervate us through life. Interesting. It's a nice metaphor. Yeah. I love learning more and more about Chinese medicine. There's it's, so much there. Yeah. It's <laughs> like the, the books that I'm reading today were written 4,000 years ago. Wow. The Neijing, you know, they date between 3,500 and 4,000 years. Yeah. And it's exactly what they teach today. It's crazy. Well, as you said, wisdom is unoriginal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my it goodness. Is. So those are beautiful graces, and I, I think I'm excited to read the rest of the book. As I said, I just got the, the actual copy of the book yesterday, so I'm going to dive deeper into it this weekend. Uh, but I, as you know, just from speaking with you and the little that I read, I really do feel that this is a book for anybody who's interested in you know, aging with grace. Um, how, however old they are. So these, these lessons, these graces are so applicable to, to all of us. And yeah. That's great. And I loved getting to meet you, you yeah. know, watching you online. It's like, I feel, you know, it's family, you know, we're all teaching the same thing. Yeah. And by teaching, it means we're learning the same thing. You know, it's great. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, it's been such a joy for me to be able to, um, have this be this opportunity to connect with different family members, as you said. Uh, we had B- 
before before COVID, my only rule was that we had to be in person so we could have this intimate connection. But because you know we haven't been able to be with people in in this kind of intimate setting since COVID, I've moved everything to Zoom and. And I actually think that it is somewhat of a gift because right now I'm in West Virginia and you're in New York and we couldn't sit together. I mean, I could possibly come up there and meet with you. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I've been able to meet with people in Bali and Spain and it, have them on here. So very cool. Yeah. I'm a little envious. I'm going to entertain the thought of yeah. doing interviews, you know, because <laughs> I, I want to keep learning. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh. And so Jason, is there anything else that you want to share with us before we say uh, goodbye? Yeah. I'd like to share my website. Yes, please. Where we have, it's, uh, it's called five element healing.net. You can get there with .com too. And it's spelled out. Okay. You know, F-I-V-E element healing. And you know, the books are available through there. They'll be available through Amazon, but you know, my older books are available and the herbal products that I've created, it's a whole lot. And it's amazingly educational. So if you're going through menopause, you know, you can click and it gives you a whole Western interpretation, Eastern interpretation, which herbs, which supplements, what exercises, you know, so it's, uh, it's very informational. So Beautiful. Yes. And we'll have the, we'll have a direct link in our show notes too. So people can just go to the show notes and click on it. Uh, so, uh, that's beautiful. And I'm going to spend, I spent a little bit of time there on your website before, and it was, it was, it was very, very informational and gave, gave some good tidbits of information for myself. And I'm going to go back there and and get your um, book on er- the herbs. Well, thank you. And stay connected. <laughs> yeah. This is good. Yeah. And I thank you. I thank, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so share. much for sharing this gift with the world and, and all that you do in your community. So thank you. And keep Great. us posted. Will do. Okay. <laughs> thanks, Vivi. Thank you, Jason. Okay. Bye. I hope you enjoyed our time with Jason. I certainly did. If you only could, maybe you even heard his big smile. He just radiated joy uh, through through the ether there. Uh, but I got to see his face in, in Zoom land and he was just smiling the whole time. So I hope you get to hear that smile and hear that beautiful, joyful story that he has to share with all of us. And his book again, The Seven Graces of Ageless Aging, How to Die Young as Late in Life as Possible. I would love for you to pick it up. I have definitely gotten a lot of little gems here from reading his book. And yeah, we also have some gems happening in our own little community here in Nomadland. So if you want to find out more about our community membership, it's only $40 a month to just participate in all of our gatherings, which are, we have a gathering about second week uh, each month where we discuss the theme of the month this month being spiritual bypassing and how to dig into the spiritual practices and uh, and then we also have my movement practice about mid-month again the next one's coming up is March 24th at 11 a.m eastern standard time and we have a couple of other beautiful perks like access to our online studio 
and other beautiful perks of connecting with our with our community and lots of different ways. So go ahead, find out more over at nomadalwaysatome.com. And again, you can join in and just drop into any of these events as a non-member, but I have a feeling when you do, you're going to want to join our community right away. So, and you also save a bit of money when you do that. So come, don't hesitate. Let's see you there. Love, love, love to have you already, everyone. Have a beautiful day.